Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Got Ross Martin and Greg Barnes with me. Sort of a bye week podcast for basketball, if there could ever be one. Carolina going to Tennessee on Sunday after 11 days off. And so we turned to Twitter, and I think it was Ross's idea. Ross, I'll let you get the first question. One that caught my eye a little bit. Somebody asked, I can't believe I'm saying this, but is it possible that coach is maybe too hard on Felton? Many of the AAU phenoms have not been coached like this. Do you think that some shy away from being pushed like he does? Ross, I I have an opinion. Uh, Share yours first, and we'll just kind of wing it from here. Yeah, I mean, I always default to the fact that Roy Williams has has won three national titles and been to countless Final Fours and is a Hall of Fame coach. You know, what he, however he's coached these guys, has worked. It's pretty clear that he wants more out of Felton and has called him out in the media multiple times about his defense and effort and, you know, how he hadn't passed the running test at the beginning of the season, just different things like that. So it's it's clear that he wants a lot more from him and knows he has a lot more. And he's also praised Felton um, about his athleticism and his, just his ability and the fact that he's gifted. Uh, I'm sure he's super hard on him in practice. Obviously, we don't get to see much of what really goes on behind the scenes. You can tell it's kind of like, you know, his project because he knows how good Felton is. So, I mean, if, if I was a UNC fan, you know, I'd want Roy to push him as hard as he can. And, and I don't think anything's going to really break Felton. You know, he's he's got an uncle in his ear. He's got, you know, a family that's kind of gone through Roy Williams's coaching. So I don't think it's – I don't think there's anything really wrong with happening there. I would like to, Roy to give him a little more freedom and, and to let him make some mistakes out there and to give him some extended time at point guard because I think that's the key is just getting comfortable – the ball in your hands, running the offense for extended minutes. I think that's what really kind of hurt Seventh Woods is that Woods never got really a chance to show what he could do, you know, 10 minutes in a game or just, you know, a lengthier time than, than you know, three or four or five minutes there. So I would like to see him get more time um, running the offense and just see what he can do knowing he's not going to get pulled out for mistakes. And obviously playing at, at the point guard spot with, with Barry at two, I think would be a very intriguing lineup. Um, as we see that more and more, I think, as the season rolls on. Greg, something that I think about when this question comes up, and Ross, you made some great points there at the end about letting him play and just see what happens, and this is the time of year to do it. But I think of guys that used to talk about how Matt Darty certainly knew how to break people down. And I'm not calling out Coach Darty, but this is just what folks said. He was very good at breaking players down, and I think you have to as a coach. The comment about AAU guys or the high-level guys, nobody's really told them no before or or corrected them before. So you have to be able to break them down. Darty struggled with that. A lot of coaches struggle with being able to build them back up. I think Roy Williams, Greg, to Ross's point, his track record speaks that he certainly knows how to build these guys back up. And I think Felton's just 10 games into a process that, you know, could it be a one-and-done season? I, yeah, I guess it could. I tend to doubt it. But, you know, a, a two-year process at least. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think Ross made a lot of good points. But let me say this. Think about all the best players to play any sport, right? 
Tom Brady, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, focusing on kind of the basketball side of things. How many of those guys weren't incredibly driven, more so than anybody else uh, that they play with? They may have more talent than everybody, but nobody was going to outwork Michael Jordan in his prom. And so in terms of you know, kind of the, the Twitter question, is he pushing him too hard? If you're going to push a kid hard and he quits and he wants to transfer because you're too hard on him, leave. Get out. Because you're not going to be one of the best players of all time. Uh, if that's what your goal is. You're not going to be an elite player. There are plenty of guys who have a ton of talent. But if they're not able to harness that and push themselves, they're not going to mount anything. We've seen that happen so many times before. I mean, even in the ACC, guys who come in with an incredible pedigree, they go to the NBA and you'll ever hear from them again. Um, and so I, I, think, I think at this level, especially the ACC level, if guys are getting worried about being pushed too hard, that's more of a reflection of them, not Roy Williams. Now, one thing to kind of build off of what Ross said, because I think his points are, are – spot on but Roy Williams has done a fantastic job over his career molding players and I actually wrote it wrote about this last week after the Western Carolina game when, when Felton had that, that good outing but you never heard Roy criticize Tyler Hansbrough or, or Marcus Page ever he always praised him you rarely heard him praise Bryce Johnson and Danny Green now in their senior years, when they had finally played up to this level he thought they could play at, you started to hear a little bit more, but he'd always throw in a joke, kind of picking at them. And then a lot of players are kind of in between. And so what that tells you is, you know, Marcus and Tyler, they didn't need to worry about what people said about them. They had the work ethic in them to push themselves. Danny Green and Bryce Johnson, on the other hand, if they started hearing good things them, you know, in their ears about themselves, well, they may take that as, hey, I've arrived, and slacked off. And so Roy has proven over his 30 years that he can push the right buttons. Um, and so I think that's necessary. And talking with Felton about it, I asked him some pointed questions about Roy you know, being critical of him and, and those types of things. And he said, look, he said, I, I knew coming in because of you know, what Raymond had said, that he was going to be very tough on me. And he talked about how he's still thinking a lot because he doesn't want to have to look over there and, and see Roy all, all ticked off at him. And so there's still a lot of this learning process and trying to make sure he's doing everything right. But at the end of the day, that is only going to drive him to be a better player. And Roy knows how talented he is. Roy wouldn't tell us that he's as gifted as he is and that he has more potential than Raymond if he didn't think that. Um, you know, he, there's a little bit of hyperbole in some things Roy says, but for the most part, he's pretty honest. And so, no, I, I don't think he's been too hard on Felton. And I think, I think the fact that Roy has, has talked about Felton the way he has really speaks to the potential that kid has. And with Seventh Woods out, I mean, obviously Felton's going to be the, the number two point guard and we'll get a lot more time, I guess, in the next four or five weeks as, as Wood is, Woods is out with a broken foot. And that's going to be perfect for him. He'll get more of a shot to run the offense. And we've seen flashes of that talent. And it is on a, a next level in terms of, what he sees on the court and kind of his offense ability and his slashing um, on the court. <clears throat> you can tell he has the kind of that, you know, a little bit of, um, I don't know what you want to call it, but maybe street ball kind of willy-nilly style of play that doesn't fit what UNC does. 
you kind of see that he's freelanced a lot and during his career in high school and that worked for him and he was just able to use his natural ability to get past players and make plays obviously that doesn't work as well in college so you know bringing that in and then using your skill when it's appropriate within the offense is going to be the key for him and he'll learn that and obviously it's great that he has um you know, it's, it's behind, behind Barry, who who's definitely understands what needs to happen for a starting point guard. That's been great for him because I think he, I think it's pretty undisputed that with this whole season, um, Julik is going to be the starter next year for UNC at point guard, especially considering the time that Woods is missing now. So it's important to consider that, that you may not see as much of Felton now, but next year he is going to be the guy and he's going to have to come in and, and be the man from day one. Yeah, and stay on this point a little bit, and I'll date myself. When I was at Carolina, they had the Fab Five class that came in with Montrose, Sullivan, um, and those guys, but and Brian Reese and Phelps and Clifford Rozier. And Rozier left, and while he was, what was it, Metro Conference back then, Greg, for Louisville, Metro Conference Player of the Year maybe a couple yeah. times, you saw where the rest of them are. They got the national championship and all. And then I think about, you know, other players that have not been receptive to the pushing. And then you look at, and while it was Dean Smith, you look at somebody like Shimon Williams, who wasn't the most talented guy in the world, was not good at all as a freshman. Um, Donald Williams, same way. And then they, you know, they were molded like Coach Smith and now Coach Williams um, does with Jaleek Felton or is trying to do with Jaleek Felton. I, I just think it's a process. And I agree with what Greg said. If you don't like it, leave. Because you know, especially a guy like Felton, knew exactly what he was getting into, and I think it'll pay off for him in the end. Let's uh, switch gears, and I'm going to throw it to you guys and let y'all ask questions, but I'm going to steal another one. Best big man or, or the most impressive of the big men thus far this year. Greg, I'll start with you. Freshman big men, right? Freshman big men, yes. Non-Luke May answers here on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, I think it's got to be Sterling Manley. Uh, Garrison Brooks is pretty much what we thought he would be, a a solid option uh, that still has a long way to go. But he's been pretty pretty, uh, effective for North Carolina. Not great, but solid. But I didn't think Manley would be ready to contribute at the the level that he has been thus far. you know, even watching him in those in the, in the first practice that we got to see back in, I guess, in early October, even then you're like, this this guy has a long way to go, and he has come a long way. So I think you have to give him a lot of props for making uh, the strides that he's made. None of these guys are quite where they need to be defensively. That's a big concern for Roy Williams. Uh, but Manly, I think, is the, the guy that has impressed me more than anybody. Yeah, I can't really disagree. I can't really disagree with that. Uh, do you have some follow-up there, Tommy? Well, what I was going to say, Ross, just to kind of twist it, because I agree it's manly as well, but do you think Roy Williams, and I think we talked about this last week maybe going into the Western game, uh, but do you think Roy Williams had any doubt or any concern um, or any belief that he would be getting 15 to 18 points and 10 to 12 rebounds out of those three guys combined? Uh, I would think that if I'm Roy Williams, I'm just tickled to death that that's the case thus far, Ross. 
Yeah, I mean, I think those numbers were, were kind of expected. Just the fact that Brooks is gonna was gonna start and had to play. You know, when you're in there for 25 minutes or so, you're gonna get those rebounds and points. But I think he has to be super impressed with just how Sterling looks so far, and the fact that he can kind of be that kind of just split time with Brooks pretty much. So they kind of have a, a dual rotation there. Um, I mean, Manly, I, I thought he was gonna be behind Huffman because I just heard the stories of the broken legs and just the rankings and just how far behind he was in terms of development and just overlooked during his recruitment. But, I mean, we've talked about this, so I don't want to repeat it, but, I mean, he's he's huge. He's long. He seems comfortable. Um, and like Greg said, the defense is a concern. I read uh, Evan Cronus's uh, recap of Roy Williams Live from Monday night, and it was seemed <laughs> that Roy has the legitimate fears about UNC's interior defense, and, and much of that has to do with the freshmen inside and the fact that, they got torched by Michigan State, and that's going to be a concern moving forward because um, it's a different monster in the ACC, and that is right around the corner there. Um, but, I mean, I think Roy has to be pretty excited about the future of, of these three guys and that you know, I think a lot of people maybe thought that they were wasting scholarships on Manly or maybe Huffman just because maybe a reach in the recruiting process with, with what UNC had to do during that time in recruiting just to get some bodies on. But I think they've got some a solid four-year you know, long-term prospects that have the right attitude and right personality to fit in. Greg, as far as the defensive end with these guys, um, yeah, they need to learn how to play position better, move the feet better and do all those things. Um, But they've got all the fouls to give, and they just need to be physical and make their fouls count. Uh, I think Sherelle and I may have talked about this earlier in the season. You know, offensive fouls, not good. Defensive fouls, of aggression or whatever or or okay with them and they've got 15 to give amongst themselves if they're going to be in there and they've got to be able to be physical I, I thought Michigan State is the only team thus far that really just pushed them around I don't know if there's that many teams in the ACC that can do that Greg your thoughts yeah I do think the issue though is quality of foul um, because I agree when you've got three guys and, and that many fouls that helps but really pay attention uh, these next couple of games to how those guys defend on the block. Because so many times this year, you know, one of those guys will, will be defending somebody who receives a, an entry pass, and they'll make one quick move, and then it's, it's an easy score. Um, and there's just been a number of games where you're like, whoa, that shouldn't be that easy. Um, and so I think that's really the concern is they have to develop you know, instinctually uh, quite a bit to be effective. It's one thing if, if you you kind of get beat or somebody makes a good move on you and you're a little bit out of position and you foul to prevent the, the basket, put them on the free throw line, that's how you want to use those 15 fouls. But when you're completely just kind of out of position because you, 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 you completely sold out on a head fake or uh, you weren't you were thinking too much with your feet, as somebody kind of went around you, that's that's a bigger problem. And I think that's really what Roy Williams has hit on. Um, and so there, there's a very small margin there, but I think it's a margin that you have to to make up for. You know, Bryce Johnson, with all of his athleticism, uh, early in his career, he still has some of those issues, but he could give you some quality fouls you know, because he can make, make up for some of those mistakes. These guys right now are having a hard time even making up for their mistakes with good fouls. And so th- there is a gap there that I think has to, 
has to be reduced in order to really go with that. Hey, they got 15 fouls. You know, just use them effectively. Yeah, and I'll move us along here to the next question off Twitter. I think it's pretty important at this point that we talk about Cameron Johnson and when he's going to return. There was a question about when Cam Johnson will be cleared and when do we see him you know, being game ready and ready to come back. I did a little research. Um, the surgery happened on November 15th. That was a Wednesday. And the four-week um, four mark is uh, December 13th, which is, uh, I think, this Wednesday. Tomorrow. Uh, which will be tomorrow. According yeah, so to when Tuesday people night. are listening to this, it will be today. Exactly. <laughs> and so the sixth, the, the sixth-week mark is December 27th. That's a Wednesday. And then UNC plays Wake Forest on December 30th. That's a Saturday. So the four to six range was uh, was given. We heard that, you know, they're not going to rush him back. Uh, coming back in four weeks would be aggressive. Steve Kirshner, UNC's SID, told us. And so, Greg, what do you think about Cam Johnson? Obviously, we don't know too much. I, from all everything we've heard, it's progressing as it should. We saw him kind of moving around, shooting around. Uh, what say you? Well, I, I think the important part there is that the four-week mark is critical because the athletic trainers are not even going to look at Cameron until that four-week mark. And so any speculation this past weekend is, is irrelevant because once that four-week mark hits, then they can go in and say, okay, is he ready or not to start practicing in some form or fashion? Because him shooting shots before a basketball game doesn't count. And if they say, okay, we think the, the knee has progressed far enough that he can get back into practice, then they'll start slowly working him in. And it's not until he actually gets into practice that they're going to start having an idea of, okay, the knee is responding well to the stress. We think that we can up it next practice. And then we can up it even more the next practice. And at that point, you're starting to say, okay, well, if he keeps at this trajectory, Maybe he can actually think about playing a game in a week. Uh, and so it could it be as soon as six weeks? Sure. But I think that's with everything working uh, kind of in his favor. And like, like you said, Russ, I don't, I don't see them rushing him back. Um, I kind of expected him, you know, when this first happened, I kind of expected him uh, to be back and you know, buy that Wake Forest game. Uh, the fact that he had some swelling in that knee, I don't know how big of a deal that is. We know he didn't travel to Portland because he did have some some swelling. They didn't want to uh, get that more inflamed uh, with with the flight. And so uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I think everybody needs to kind of just settle down and say well, he's going to have to get through some practices first before we even have any kind of idea of how soon to expect him back. Ross, yeah, let me ask it. you this. Ross, uh, let me ask this. Not only when he comes back, but how do you think they work him in? Because Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people say, oh, Carolina's got this great shooter sitting on the bench and he's going to be healthy and they're just going to plug him back in and it doesn't really work that way. Um, so how does Roy Williams manage that portion of it? Yeah, that's a super interesting question. That I was going to go with that next. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't think he's going to start because uh, Kenny Williams is playing at such a high level and that'd be kind of the guy. There's no way you know, Theo Pinson's coming out. So I think Cam Johnson starts on the bench. And just kind of comes in um, for for Kenny Williams or or, or Theo Pinson in the lineup and and relieves them and see what he can do and how he works in because this is a completely new system for him and, and it's going to take even though they've been in practices in the preseason 
working um, together, it, it's still going to take time for him to for him to get comfortable and for his teammates to get comfortable um, and just to see what he can do within the offense. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. I imagine he'll take some of uh, Andrew Playtick and Brandon Robinson's minutes. You would think that he is maybe a little more, I don't know, ready, but just has that veteran savvy and, and maybe he can – come in and knock down some threes more than they would. But um, the way Kenny Williams is playing, man, I think UNC and Roy Williams have to feel very good with what they have right now, what they have going right now. But, um, yeah, I think around that Wake Forest game, December 30th, Forest State, January 3rd, Virginia, January 6th, is when we'll see what Roy does if everything goes as planned. Um, and I think he'd be the, the kind of the first wing off the bench um, and maybe maybe even the second wing behind uh, Brandon Robinson off the bench for uh, for Kenny and um, and or Theo because I guess they kind of play that similar wing position. But Theo has a kind of a unique role because he can bang down low and and play multiple spots within the offense. Yeah, Tommy, I think I think Ross hit the hit, hit the nail on the head there when he said that he's going to take minutes away from Playtech and Brandon Robinson, given the way that Kenny Williams has played to start the year. Uh, I don't see any way that Cameron Johnson is going to take that starting spot, even if he comes in guns blazing. Uh, maybe if he plays at just an incredibly high level, maybe by the end of February, Roy's hand may be forced. But just knowing how Roy has been and how loyal he is and how much he relies on Kenny being that defensive uh, energy guy, I don't think he's taking that position. And then, like Ross said, Theo brings so much. He's the facilitator. He's really the court general for this team, given uh, Joel Berry's role as more of a scoring point guard. I, I just don't see it. I, I think maybe if, if UNC has to go with the small lineup, uh, if something happens with the bigs, they just you know, stop progressing, then you can see him moving to the starting lineup. But I, I think really what you're going to see is Instead of thinking about it so much as, as starters, think about it. Think about it as Kenny, Cameron, and Theo are your key wing players, and all those guys are probably going to get an equal share of the minutes. Uh, well, one thing I was going to say about sorry about Cam Johnson is that I mean, if he can come in and knock down two to three threes a game off the bench, that is what UNC needs, and, and that's what he can do and f- progress from there within the offense. That's going to be a huge jump because then it's just it's kind of unreal the options UNC has um, considering how well Luke has played on the perimeter as a shooter, Kenny, Joel, and even guys like Playtick and Robinson. Just adding another shooter is going to open things up, and that's kind of what his role is going to be from the beginning because uh, we all know how much Roy loves Kenny and values that that defense. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show. We'll be right back after these messages. Some brands offer you low finance or cashback or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Kajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finances made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply. Deposit required. Subject to lending criteria. See Renault.ie. Jumping to the next questions here. These are some defensive questions, which is, I know, Greg's uh, favorite topic to discuss and write on. Um, one, uh, guy on Twitter said, if Roy's going to mix up what he does on defense, giving the, the talent that they have right now in terms of just versatile players, is he going to move away from the man to man, move to some zone, just mix it up. Cause he said he likes what 
I guess Dean Smith did back in the day with with mixing up defenses. And to add to that question, another guy on Twitter um, uh, posed the question of whether Roy would uh, implement a full court press at times with the kind of the same idea of having Theo, Joel, Kenny, um, Jalik Felton, and Luke Mann, kind of all those athletes on the court at the same time if UNC would move to the full court press more than they uh, usually do. I know they do that run and jump kind of half court deal, but um, what do you think there, Greg, with kind of a, more athletes on the court and how UNC can be more versatile in defense this season? Yeah, I actually spoke with Roy Williams, uh, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago. I sat down with him in his office for a good half hour or so. We actually talked about this very topic and uh, was really kind of poking and prodding about the differences between him and Dean Smith. And you know, uh, as the the, the Twitter, uh, how, how do you say, the tweeter, the Twitter follower? Twitterer. Um, Twitterer, okay. <laughs> Got to be All careful right. there. All right, right. How, uh, and it's actually Ed Page, I'll just call him Ed, how's that? Um, as Ed pointed out, you know, Dean Smith was, was was known for his ability to, to mix and match defenses. And it did, it kept you know, opposing teams uh, kind of on their heels a little bit. Uh, and he really used that throughout his career very, very well. Roy Williams does not do that. Roy Williams is going to play man-to-man. Um, and some people kind of get frustrated with that. We see a little bit of zone from now, from every now and then. Uh, but he rarely stays in it long. It's, it's it's so funny to me how you know some teams will be you know, lighten lighten them up from outside. He'll switch to a zone, come down the court. The team will knock down another three, and he's out of it. And after the game, he'll be like, "Look, we switched to it one time. They hit a three, so there's no reason to even play it." Uh, but you kind of have to understand what what Roy wants to do. The reason that Roy likes man to man so much, uh, besides the fact that he knows how to coach it, is that he is such a big rebounding guy that man-to-man uh, works very well when you stress rebounding the way he does. Because you know who your guy is. There's no question about it. One of the problems that he said that he's had in the past with zone, for example, is that you don't exactly have one guy you're responsible for. And so when the ball comes off the rim, sometimes guys just kind of get lost. And it's easy for you know, uh, opposing players to kind of slip around them and get offensive rebounds. And so that works – that pairing works very well with the man-to-man and the defensive rebounding that he stresses. Uh, but he does. He uses that half-court trap quite a bit. We've, we've seen that a lot. He likes the three-quarter lengths trap as well. And so we may see some of that. We, we've seen a little bit of it this year. Uh, but depending on how well the guys play in terms of getting back, uh, when, once the team breaks that trap, that kind of determines how much he's willing to use it. But with the amount of athletes that he has on the perimeter, um, and their ability to go small with Theo at the four and, and Luke or whoever at the five, um, that does provide some, some more options. We actually saw a little bit of the zone at the end of the Western Carolina game, although Roy kind of joked that, that you couldn't really tell what defense they were in because some of the guys were out of position in it. Uh, but man-to-man is what you're going to see regardless of what type of uh, athletes he has on the team. That's what he's always done. That's probably what he will always do. Uh, but you know, outside of, of adding a couple of traps, I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of uh, mixing and matching like Dean used to do. I think the advantage of man, especially with this team, is that it gives a freshman kind of like, I mean, this is your man. You don't have to worry about zone and where to be because that can be kind of confusing for a freshman, especially with the concerns that UNC already has down low with, with their new players. Um, 
it's kind of clear what what your role is in a man to man defense. And, and also, I mean, I, I like man to man from just you know playing the game a little bit. I, I never played football, but I played a little basketball, and it challenges you. You have to guard your guy, and it's kind of a one on one deal, and and it, it's mano a mano, and, and that's the that's kind of makes you. I guess more responsible for what your guy is doing. If he scores on you, he knocks down a bucket. It's on you. So I think that kind of inspires more of a gritty uh, defensive approach that I think coaches like. Um, and if you don't, you know, practice a lot of zone, uh, then a team can come in and just light you up. I mean, this isn't this isn't reckless. This is this is a team. These are teams are playing who can find the pockets in the zone and run a little offense. And if you're out of place, it's it's an easy bucket. Uh, from various places on the court. So I think that's a concern, obviously, with running zone because it seems like Syracuse, you know, practices that um, sending zone that they run. And, and obviously UNC practices more zone, so practices more man-to-man. So that's what, uh, that's what I think on that topic. Well, I mean, you look at Syracuse. Was it last year or year before last, Greg? Up there, uh, they, they, they play their zone, their matchup zone. They weren't as long as they usually are when they play it. And I think they put – you know, either Meeks or Hicks at the high post and the other one down low and just Carolina just wore it out. So even teams that practice it all the time, that that can be a problem. And also get your comments on people think oh, you can just go out and play 40 minutes of hell, full court press and all that stuff. When you have bigs that aren't as experienced and you don't really have a true glass cleaner or, or a, a true a shot blocker at the back of that full court press, uh, then you open yourself up, no matter how good you are up top, say with Barry or Kenny Williams, you open yourself up to two passes and then they there's a break and you've got, you know, three on two big men or, or two on one and, and one of the freshmen big are going to have to make a decision. So, Greg, to your point, I think Williams's ability to mix it up, you know, the run and jump and, and those type traps is what makes Carolina's defense unique as opposed to all these other teams that might run, um, you know, straight man or variations of that. Yeah, and I think that the other thing, too, is um, we kind of give Roy a hard time about, and it, he kind of brings it on himself, but kind of being antiquated a little bit and, and you know, maybe not being as, as tech savvy and, you know, advanced metric savvy as, as, Maybe he should be, but you know, Dean Smith was the guy that that did the points per possession deal, and Roy Williams understands the the stats of that. And a lot of people get frustrated with his whole concept of look, we're going to take the best shot available, and best shot meaning typically the closest shot to the rim. If you can take layups every single time, he wants you to do that, and uh, inversely. You, he would much rather give a team a three-point shot than a shot at the rim. And so that factors into a lot of these decisions. And you know, He doesn't want to get so cute with all these different defensive sets and having to run full-court traps and all these kind of things because he doesn't need to do that. Because if you just play your base man-to-man defense and you play it well, uh, you can really do a good job of limiting a lot of those shots inside the paint, which is what he wants to do which is why so many of these teams that he's had that have been successful, you know, dominate the glass. They outscore their opponents in the paint by 20 to 30 points because he's taking the easy shot and he's taking away the easy shot for his opponent. And that's what it comes down to. So you know, we can talk about 
schematics and strategy and all these kind of things. But that is the the bare bones of what Roy Williams wants to do. Um, and it clearly it's, it's worked well for him. Greg, I'm going to give you the opportunity to take the floor. Ross has had it. I've had it. So you bring the questions and either myself or definitely Ross will bring the answers. <laughs> All right. Hang on one second here. Let's see. Here. <laughs> hey, I'll hit you with this one real quick while you're kind of looking. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to steal the thunder, but we don't have any quiet times. Uh, this is a good question for Greg. Best road venue uh, for covering a game for football and basketball. Greg's been doing this a lot longer than I have. I don't know. Tommy, you've been to some games around the country as well as a fan. Um, so why don't, why don't y'all both take that one, and I'll come in with my answer as as Greg uh, scans Twitter for more questions. <laughs> well, the the easy one for basketball for me is is Maui, just because it's it's a high school gym. <laughs> it's a it's a middle school gym, and you've got your teams like UNC and Notre Dame and Michigan and all these other teams playing in it. Um, you know, if, if you're a diehard UNC fan and there's any way for you to have a bucket list for a place to watch Carolina play a game, somehow save up enough money. And even if you have to go by yourself and leave the, leave the kids at home, do it. <laughs> but it is such a, just a fantastic venue to watch a basketball game. And um, the beach I'll, isn't I'll, that bad either, right? Right, right. That 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 helps. Um, <laughs> but that that by far is the the best venue. And then football wise, uh, you know, it's Clemson hands down. Well, Ross, I covered a lot of games back in the day for this Inside Carolina deal. <laughs> um, JB Sissel and I would uh, we would uh, turn the lights out in many a venue. I, I will say this, the football, not so much. The best venue probably was at South Carolina um, just for the environment, but for basketball coverage from inside Carolina standpoint, and I've done Duke and I've been at Cameron, both for inside Carolina and to watch a game, but the last game in Reynolds Coliseum, the last North Carolina NC state game in Reynolds Coliseum, I challenge anybody to beat that environment that night. That was the uh, Ed Coda and Ronald Curry at the foul line, waving their hands, getting the crowd jacked up. Back in Reynolds, before they renovated it, the end zones had uh, bleachers that you could pick up, and it was like three or four seats in a row. And I literally thought that Ed Coda and Ronald Curry were going to get everybody killed in there because they were waving the bleachers and waving the things, throwing coins, <laughs> everything, just total pandemonium and insanity in there. Carolina ended up winning the game. It was fairly close at the end. And then the first game in PNC, and I hadn't been in there to see a state Carolina game in a while, but that place was nuts. That first game is when, um, I think, was it Coda again that hiked the ball between his legs to Brendan Haywood for a dunk? Uh, I think J.B. Sissel has great video of that from like two feet away. So those two venues for me, I, I've not gone to Maui. Buck, if you're listening, I'll cover <laughs> some ball games next Carolina <laughs> next time Carolina's in Maui and I and I will let you know how that was. But yeah, for basketball, for a pure basketball environment, those two games in Raleigh back whenever that was, um hard to beat. 
Yeah, I mean, I have to go with, uh, I mean, Cameron's unbelievable. I, I sat up in the Crow's Nest, which doesn't exist anymore. I've covered, I guess, two games there. I mean, it's unreal in there. I've been to uh, multiple games there, just kind of growing up in North Carolina. Covering two Final Fours is pretty cool as well. Uh, last year in, in Phoenix, kind of walking by all the celebrities. I remember, you know, sitting in front of, uh, you know, Obama's chief of staff, or, or Rahm Emanuel. Uh, now the Chicago mayor sitting in front of all these other coaches and then passing by Odell Beckham and, and Michael Phelps is cool. And just being on that stage and then the lights and the crowd and the football stadium is, was unreal. And of course in Houston, uh, kind of the same deal, just the massiveness of those events is, is, is unreal. Um, so those two, I guess, Cameron in the final fours football, uh, I covered the, the 2015 uh, game in Blacksburg when UNC clinched. Blacksburg's a cool venue, and, and that was pretty sweet to see. You know, Quinshot Davis catch that ball in the end zone in overtime for, for Fedora and his staff to clinch that uh, ACC Coastal Championship. And I've been to a couple games at Clemson, too. I think uh, once kind of as a fan and, and once covering a game, and that's a really cool just football environment, that, that town, how they embrace the team. I think UNC got just boat raced in both games, but uh, that's obviously a cool place to be. I'll add two places that I think have interesting stories. I wouldn't put them at the top of the list, but I believe it was the first year I was on the beat. So this was uh, maybe 08, maybe in 07. Uh, but North Carolina played at the Palestra in Philly. And uh, I mean, I, we sat on wooden benches like you have at, you know, at you know, high schools and junior highs that you have to pull out to the court. And you sat and you had your computer on your lap, and that's how you <laughs> that's how you covered the game. Um, you know, that place has, has been around forever, so that was a pretty neat experience. Uh, the locker rooms were you know size of a closet, and so that was pretty interesting. And then uh, the other place, and I, the reason I think of it is because North Carolina is playing in the Las Vegas Invitational again next year. Uh, but a number of years ago, uh, they played UNLV, and I'm trying to think what casino they played at. But whatever casino it was, they were selling alcohol quite a bit, and they kind of had this this arena, if you want to call it an arena, was just really just kind of set up. It's very similar to like how Atlantis has turned a ballroom into a, a basketball court. Uh, and so all these fans were just right on top of you. and. Everybody was inebriated. UNLV, that's when they had Anthony Bennett and some of those guys. Uh, and they, they beat North Carolina that night. And that is the game where the drunk fans behind the UNC bench came out of the stands, confronted Roy Williams, um, knocked over a team manager, a girl. Uh, and so the, like after the game, while I'm waiting to go into the locker room, you know, there's cops there talking to UNC staff and, uh, so I actually had to write a story about all that. And that was the critical component because not long after that is when the incident happened at Florida State where you know, UNC gets boat raced, Roy gets his team, leaves the court, the walk-ons didn't get the message, so they stayed on the floor. He got a lot of heat for that. But those things kind of go hand in hand because Roy understood kind of in the back of his mind what had transpired you know, months earlier in Vegas. Uh, and was just trying to kind of protect his team from the mad dash of, of fans getting ready to storm the court in Tallahassee. So, 
a lot of interesting stories we could get into, but that doesn't nope. qualify, I guess, as best locations. Well, for folks listening, a lot of times I'll text Greg and say, send me a picture of your view. And I think one of the coolest ones you sent me, Greg, was on uh, the aircraft carrier in San Diego. Talk about yeah. that experience just briefly. Yeah, that was a, a wild one because uh, Mario Lopez was like three seats down from me. Uh, and so, yeah, I tried talking to him and he's kind of brushed me off, which is not a surprise. But we're sitting there on this aircraft carrier, uh, and here comes your President Obama and the First Lady, and they walk, you know, five feet by me. Uh, and so that's a very you, how many times can you say that happens in your life? And he gets up and, and talks and, and those types of things. Um, but yeah, that was a very very interesting uh, location for sure. Uh, I, I probably could could include that as, as number one. I'm just such a big fan of of Maui. But one thing I would say about that was so unique. Uh, we had to get there at 5 a.m. the day of the game, and it was a night tip. And this is this is out in San Diego. And so we go on board, and the way that the Secret Service wanted everything to work is they wanted us uh, to turn on our laptops so they could come in and do all their their sweeps because we're going to be with our laptops, you know, feet away from the president. And they wanted to make sure, you know, everything was in you know, appropriate working order. But they didn't have any um, they didn't have any electrical cords in the media room. And so they wanted us to come in at 5 a.m., set up our computers without any kind of electricity, let them do their job, and then come back that night for the game. Well, as you can imagine, everybody's laptop would be dead. And Secret Service was not budging on it. Uh, so we had to take our stuff that morning, let them look through everything, and they were finally able, with, with the Navy, able to get some uh, electrical cables run up through the ship so that we could have time to charge our computers in time for, for the game. So. Uh, a lot of logistical stuff like that that you would never think of that we had to go through for that game, uh, but but for sure that was a, a a very a very very unique setting and, and venue to be able to cover. Yeah, the the life of the president of the United States, or so Greg can post on the inside kind of message boards. I'm sure they <laughs> they had their priorities straight there. Correct. Yeah, you know we're talking about the president and Greg Barnes in the same Senate. So Ross, <laughs> you know where we stand and just. It, I like the uh, the Mario Lopez name drop. Old, old <laughs> yeah. Slater. Slater, Slater I'm sorry. You got blown yeah. off by Slater. Now, uh, yeah. fulfill your duty here, sir, <laughs> and uh, close the show with a couple questions. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my own question. How's this to both of you okay. guys? <laughs> Who has to elevate their game between now and the end of February for North Carolina? Uh, to compete for a Final Four, Ross, I'll defer. I think Garrison Brooks just has to become just more of a force. It's kind of become almost like I mean, it's still early. We're ten games in. He's kind of become a forgotten guy. We, 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 you know, I think UNC needs him to be a for, like a, a rebounding force or defensive force or something more than just a guy because they're going to get exposed defensively or on the boards or, or just not have the firepower down low because some shots aren't dropping from the outside. He just needs to, I think, just play with a little more confidence and, and just be more of a, a star. And I know it's hard to say for a freshman that's expecting a lot from a guy coming in, but if he can make a little bit bigger jump, and I, I think he has ism, I think he's a, a good kid who's going to progress gradually, but if he can make that jump, I mean, I think UNC has a chance to, to make some noise come February and March um, and seeing what he does. Because I think he's going to 
he's going to be ahead of Sterling in the, in the starting lineup, and he's had more opportunities to, to be that man this year. I, I think, you know, I, I think if the big the, the trio, and I think as we get further into the ACC, I think you're right. Garrison Brooks is the man. I think, but but I think he and Manley will be the main two there. I think they need to get that ten, twelve, and seven or eight combined. But I think Greg that. Cameron Johnson's got to come in and not be a chemistry issue. And I'm not saying that he he would be that intentionally or do anything to be that, but it's just tough to blend somebody in. I think for North Carolina to be as good as they need to be to advance to another Final Four, I think somehow, some way, Roy Williams has got to blend Cameron Johnson into this mix, get him playing at a high level, and keep Kenny Williams at a high level. I think Pinson's going to be fine. But I think they, that Carolina will need both of those guys at a high level because of the big men issues. I don't think that any of the three, Garrison Brooks included, are going to be one as as one there. I don't think any of them individually will step up and make up for what Cameron Johnson can provide if he's at a high level come February, March. Yep. I agree with both of those. Now I would add uh, that I think Joel Berry needs to, uh, needs to arrive. Uh, he's shooting 36% from the floor. Um, he's had some big games, did not play well against Michigan state. He's had a fantastic assist turnover ratio, about three to one. So he's doing a lot of the things that, that he has done before. He's a great leader. Uh, but I think for North Carolina to be able to win this, win some of these tough games coming up, uh, he he's got to lead by scoring the ball efficiently. Um, and if if he if he starts shooting the ball better, and Cameron Johnson does what you're talking about, Tommy and Garrison Brooks or even Manley comes along, like Ross is saying, all of a sudden this team goes from a, a Sweet 16 type team to a team that can contend for a Final Four. Uh, a lot to play out, of course, only 10 games in, but it's been a, a fun season to cover thus far. It has, guys. I appreciate y'all taking the time to do this long podcast. I'm not going to edit it other than add an intro and an exit. But, but Ross, Greg, I know you guys have been busy. This week's a little bit uh, less so, but I know the games pick up here starting on Sunday and into the holidays, guys. We'll talk next week. Thanks, All Tommy. right, see you, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.